welcome to Be The Best You. I'm your host, Luke Briggs. This is a podcast where we give you the best information on how to become your best self in your health, wealth, and relationships. Have you ever felt awkward at a networking event? I know I have. Thankfully, our guest, Travis Chapel, is an expert in networking and developing relationships, even with people who seem miles out of your league. He hosts the Build Your Network podcast, which is a top 25 entrepreneurship podcast where he's interviewed rock stars like Kevin Harrington from Shark Tank, Quest Nutrition co-founder Tom Bilyeu, and billionaire and Houston Rockets owner Tillman Fertitta. So it's safe to say he's learned from the best. So if you ever wanted to learn how to network and connect with anyone, keep listening. I learned so much from this episode and can't wait to share Travis's story with you. All right, I am here today with podcaster, international speaker, business owner, real estate investor, and super connector, Travis Chapel. Hey, what's up, man? How's it going? Doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, Travis hosts Build Your Network, which is a top 25 entrepreneurship podcast. And on it, he's interviewed the likes of business mogul Grant Cardone, uh, Quest co-founder Tom Bilyeu, billionaire Tillman Fertitta, among many other highly su- successful individuals. Travis has also been featured on media outlets like Forbes, Entrepreneur Magazine, NASDAQ, and he's really become known for his expertise in networking and connecting with anyone you desire, even with your, if you're starting from nothing, and you know, that's kind of a big part of what we're going to discuss today. Travis, again, you know, thanks for coming on the show. Happy to be here, man. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So you know, I want to get more into your story and how you've gotten to where you've gotten to today, but what I want to first do is... You know, have you kind of explained like an expertise that you've really built up, built up is networking. And I want you to explain in your own words, what is networking and why is it so important? My own words. Yeah. Uh, networking is nothing but building friendships and relationships. And I think people get those wires crossed a lot of times. They treat networking like it's a, this totally separate activity over in this space, you know, and then friendships and relationships, they're over here in this space, right? They're totally different types of, of things. And that's what makes for bad networking. That's what makes for the people showing up to the, the cocktail mixers with like a name tag and a thousand business cards. And uh, they're just trying to, you know, spew out their elevator pitch. They treat it like a, essentially treat it like an in-person cold calling opportunity instead of a way to try to get to know people, add value and build relationships. And um, it, everybody can smell it from a mile away. Like they come in and just a bunch of people trying to pitch each other on their products and services instead of like actually getting to know each other, build relationships based off of commonalities and then work together possibly at some point in the future. And I, I'm very familiar with that because I used to be that guy. I was, you know, when I was like 19 selling solar, I would show up to something and I'd be like, man, if I, and I was doing door to door at the time. And so I was very used to cold calling and uh, I knew what was a productive use of my time in terms of getting more leads in my, uh, into my um, solar sales. And so when I would go to those events, I'd be like, oh man, I, I, I didn't get a sale tonight. That was a waste of time. And I, I was only doing what everybody told me to do, which was like go quote unquote network. But it didn't feel like friendship building, relationship building. It felt like hard work. And, um, and there's a clear difference between those two things. So um, networking, I would say, is nothing but building relationships just happens to be with people who maybe have similar interests and uh, similar career paths and businesses that you have. Um, 
And then why is it important? Because I feel like it's everything, man. I think relationships are the key to whatever you want, um, whatever it is that you want. If you, you know, whatever you want success in, even if you're in the corporate world or if you're an entrepreneur, whatever it is, if you can build relationships with the best people that are in that industry, then you can shortcut the path to success, uh, <clears throat> you know, nine times out of 10. So I think it's important to build those relationships with people. Um, and uh, I think relationships and people are what make life uh, meaningful. And uh, I think like shared experiences, memories, creating those types of things, I think um, are help like are part of what, you know, helps make life more, more full, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Love it. Love it. And I love how you, you emphasize the relationship side of things because I think so, so many people think it's just like, you know, I'm just in there only from a, a business standpoint, there is no relationship. It's just business, 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 but right. Like whether it's business or not, like people are, are human, we're human beings and, and we value relationships and connections. Yep. A hundred percent, man. Love it. So, um, I love your story just because you've built up such a successful business and podcast on networking and have become really an authority, um, in the industry on how to connect with anyone. Yet when you first started your podcast, I've heard you say that you didn't really have any connections. And I think the wealthiest person you knew had like $150,000 per year. Um, and you know, I want to get more into how you grew your network starting from scratch, but I first want to go back to the beginning to give people a little bit of context. So what were you like when you were in middle school and high school? And were you always someone who saw yourself becoming successful? Yeah. So I grew up in a really tight knit, small religious bubble. Um, it was, uh, the movement is the independent fundamental Baptist movement. Um, so we were kind of like a subsect of a subsect of Christianity, you know, and so I, I grew up a little bit different, uh, I would say than most people. Um, and you know, there's pros and cons to how everybody grows up. So it was the same for me. And so when I was in, you know, seventh, eighth grade, junior high, high school, that time period, I wasn't thinking of my life in terms of what the future would look like, because for me, it was kind of already decided <clears throat> when I was in seventh grade that I was going to be in full-time ministry. So I didn't have the regular thoughts that most like teenagers have of like, well, what do I want to do with my life? What could I be successful in? Like, let me, you know, get super good grades and get into a good school. Like I, I didn't have any of that. It was always like, I'm going straight to the college that's on the same campus as the school that I went to. Um, and I'm going to go into ministry. So um, that being said though, I was always trying to be the best at whatever I did uh, at that time. So I was, uh, I am very competitive and I played sports, a lot of sports growing up. And so, you know, most of the time, like, you know, say ninth grade, Travis would, would uh, wake up, go to school. Uh, and then after school was over, I would go to junior varsity basketball practice from like three thirty to five thirty. And then I was on varsity that year as well. So I would go to varsity basketball practice immediately after JV basketball practice. So I'd go basically from 3.30 to 7.30 every day for uh, ba basketball practice. And then 7.30, you know, you get home and eat a little bit of dinner and then do homework basically until it's time to go to bed. So that was, you know, basically my life at that, at that time. And, uh, I would also participate just the nature of the way that that school was when you grow up in a class where, like our, I think our class to this day was the largest graduating class to come through that school. I think I'm not hundred percent sure, but okay. we had 38 people in our class. 
So you just tend to do more things, right? Like it wasn't like, there wasn't just like you only do basketball and you only do this, right? So I'd also do a lot of like the, the, we had a fine arts competition every year and I would do like a humorous interpretation speech and I would preach in the preaching contest and I was the captain of the Bible quiz team and I would, you know, um, uh, I played in chess tournaments and, and took math tests. So like there's just so many things and whatever I would do, I would just try to be the best at, at what it was because I was just extremely competitive. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think I, I kind of built that habit uh, growing up, but I always just, like I said, in terms of a career and, and being quote unquote successful in life, what that looked like for me at the time was just going to Bible college and then like graduating and being a youth pastor basically. Love it. So you were always competitive, obviously got involved in a lot of things and and wanted to be the best you could in all of them. And, uh, you know, as you said, like you, you kind of knew, or, you know, quote unquote knew at that point that ministry was what you were going into. So now you are obviously not in ministry, you know, you're a podcaster among many other things. So take me from the the time you kind of like graduated high school to you started doing what you're doing now, like, like what happened in between there? Yeah, so I graduated high school, went to that college. Like I said, it was on the same campus. So um, I I went to kindergarten through senior year of college on the same 20-acre campus. <laughs> and um, I graduated. I got my degree in Bible and church ministries, double majored. Uh, but my junior year, I want to say, I started doing door-to-door sales just because a buddy of mine I was doing it and he was making some decent money doing it. And so I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I, it never appealed to me to like have a J O B job because I, I hated the idea of being better than somebody at the job and getting paid the same amount of money that they got paid. Sure. So when they came up with this, when they were like, Oh yeah, this is door to door sales and you get paid on commission. I was like, okay, that's something that makes sense to me. I can wrap my head around that. I, I get paid based on my performance. That is something that I'm on board with. Right. Um, Cause right. up to that, up to that point, I basically just, I owned a landscaping company um, that a buddy of mine and I started when I was a senior in high school. Uh, it was before, it was before our senior year of high school that we started it. So we would mow yeah. lawns and, you know, do that kind of stuff. And I, I say a company, I mean, we had, you know, 10 or 15 lawns or something and we made like a thousand bucks a month or whatever it was. Um, especially in college, I, I think I made like five, 600 bucks a month in college on it because I was, I got so sick of mowing lawns. So I just hired another college student to do all the sure. work. Um, and, uh, so when I got that door-to-door sales opportunity, I just it just kind of clicked with me, and I started doing pretty well with that. And so by the time I was graduating college, I had been interning at a church every weekend, and I remember thinking like every weekend I would drive all the way down, uh, all the way uh, down from where I lived in Lancaster, Palmdale, California, which is like northern LA County. I would drive from there all the way down to Newport Beach, and I would intern at this church every single weekend for my entire junior year. And I remember like being at the church on the weekends, doing the thing that I'm supposedly supposed to be doing for the rest of my life, right? And looking forward to getting back to school on Monday so that I could go work the job that I was supposed to be quitting in the next couple of months. So that <laughs> I could do the thing that I didn't want to do for the rest of my life. Sure. And uh, it just kind of like started striking me as like, man, this seems kind of backwards. It seems like I should be excited for the weekends to go do the thing that I want to be doing the rest of my life and like dreading going back to school on Monday. But it was the total opposite of that. And so right. I started just getting really introspective and asking myself a lot of questions that I had never asked myself before. And then nobody in my life had really ever asked me like, Hey, are you sure this is the right path for you type of a thing? And uh, in that culture, it's very taboo to like go to the ministerial schools. Cause it was a hundred percent ministerial. There was no quote unquote secular degrees. So they were all like, you know, church ministries, missions, pastoral theology, stuff like that. 
Sure. And so it was kind of taboo to go there and then not go into ministry. So anytime I would bring it up with like a friend of mine, they would just immediately shut it down and be like, Oh no, you need to you know, go into ministry. And so it just became this like internal thing that I was wrestling with that I didn't tell anybody about because I didn't, you know, I knew that they would just tell me to not do the thing that I felt like I should be doing. And I just kind of chalked it up at the time to being like, Oh, it's just the devil. He's just tempting me. You know what I mean? Mm. And uh, so yeah. it was just this, this like internal um, uh, conflict that I had that I was like losing sleep over and, and, and trying to think about uh, really clearly. And so uh, from that point I went, I remember doing a bunch of interviews uh, to be a youth pastor uh, with a bunch of different pastors and this one guy that uh, who actually happened to be my youth pastor when I was in seventh, eighth grade okay. um, in Lancaster, he had moved up and taken over his dad's church in Fresno. And I remember having an interview with him and he basically offered me a full-time position at the church, a part-time position at the church, or he just said, Hey, just come up to the church. We'd love to have you and you can work secularly. And that was the first time in my, like at that time in my life that anybody had ever expressed that it was okay to not be in full-time ministry. And wow. so I was like, uh, I was like, well, this seems like a more accepting, you know, path. And so I just kind of, I, I accepted the part-time position just so that I could tell everybody at the school that I was working in ministry somewhere. Cause right. that's kind of a point of pride for them. They, they want, they want everybody placed before they graduate. Um, so, so I would tell people like, Oh yeah, I'm going up to work at the church in Fresno, up in the Fresno. Yeah. I'm going to Fresno. And um, I got to Fresno and I was intending on working part-time at the church, but what happened was I was buying a house uh, when I, I was, I was like 21 at the time I was buying my mm -hmm. first house and I wanted, uh, but I couldn't qualify for the loan based on hundred percent commission history because the banks wouldn't take, I didn't, I hadn't been doing it long enough. They wouldn't take sure. commission. So I took an internal transfer the first and only time I'd ever had a job in my life, uh, at the same company, it was still sales, but I had a salary so they could dictate you know, when, and I, when I could work and when I couldn't work, sure. they wouldn't let me work on Sundays. So, uh, or, or excuse me, they, 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 you know, made me work on Sunday. So when we first moved there, I couldn't do the part-time thing that I had agreed to. But the crazy thing is like, I was maybe at that job for four or five weeks. How basically however long it took for us to close escrow on the house. <laughs> escrow, I was done. Just to um, do that. Yep. And, I, and I quit and went back to hundred percent commission stuff. But um, however long that period of time was four or five weeks was all I needed to basically say like, I know that the ministry path isn't the path for me anymore. So like, you know, 21 years at this one place and then I go away from it and I get out from all the external influences that mm -hmm. were there and took me four weeks to basically be like, yeah, um, I'm not doing it. So when I quit my job, even though I could have taken the part-time stuff at the church, I eventually was just like, I, I, I don't think that I would be doing it you know, I, I don't want to do that. And I don't think I would be doing a good service for you guys, even if you did bring me on. So sure. I ended up just making that transition and, and saying like, okay, you know, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do uh, at this point. You know, I'm 21. I have a mortgage to pay and I have a wife. So <laughs> I don't have the luxury of just like doing nothing. Uh, but I, I'm pretty decent at this sales thing. So let's just try to do that. And that was when I like really committed to, to, um, you know, making good money in sales. Right. Well, I mean, that's a pretty incredible how, like you said, back home, like family, friends, like everyone was really pushing you toward being in the ministry yet. You know, at one point you did kind of get permission that this isn't something that you, this is something that you don't necessarily have to do full time to, to be kind of accepted. But, you know, I think a, a point brought, being brought up here is that I think a lot of people fall into the pressures of just doing what, others or society or friends and family want them to do. So 
How did you like develop the mindset like in that moment that even though every single other person is telling me to do this, I know in my heart that I still want to do this and actually be like, okay with doing that. Yeah. It's a really good question, man, because it was, um, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like it was easier than it was because it wasn't easy. And, uh, you know, when, uh, when you don't even feel like you can share that with the closest people to you because of the like immediate reaction that they have, like it, it gets kind of lonely in that situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it, w- it definitely was not an easy decision, but I just, I just remember one thing that really clicked with me was a realization that I had where it was just like, man, what am I going to do when people ask me what I'm doing? Like when I'm in ministry and all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. And it was just a big realization that I was just like, why am I going to live my life for other people? Like mm-hmm. just so yeah. that other people can be proud of me. Like, uh, you know, the people that I wanted to impress in that world, that's where I grew up. I had a lot of respect for a lot of the authority figures that I had in my life and I didn't want to disappoint them. And I just remember thinking like, you know, there's a couple of big events that that church, that church is like the leader in that movement. There's like a 7,000 member church. It's a, you know, 800, 900 person college is a K through 12 uh, school on the same camp. Like it's a big, you know, big church and it's a big deal in that movement. And, uh, and I had a lot of respect for those people. And so there was a few big events that happened at a church. And I knew that as like a a staff member, a different church that I would end up back on that campus, like three or four times a year for the random Uh big events that they would throw. And I just remember thinking like, what am I going to do if I go back for those things? Like, what am I going to tell people when they ask me and what am I going to say? And, uh, I just had this big realization, bro. I was just like, why am I going to live 365 days a year for somebody else? So that on the five or six days a year that I actually see them, I can report something that makes them happy. Yes. Love like that. That way just blew my mind that I was about to do that, that I was about to live 98% of my life mm. doing something that I didn't want to do just to appease the people that I would interact with for 2% of my life. And I was just like, eventually I like the premise is this, bro. I am the only person in the world that has to wake up every single day and be me. Yes. Nobody else is me. I am me and nobody else is. So mm-hmm. I cannot live my life for all the other people who aren't me. I have to be able to make the decisions that are for me. And, uh, yes. and, and you, have to look, you have to think about it that way. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's selfish, that's selfish. But no, it's not. It's like you need to get very clear and be aware of what you want out of life. And you have to be willing to have the courage to be able to say, you know, and I know that everybody else is pushing me a different direction. Everybody else mm-hmm. wants me to do this and everybody else wants me to do that. But essentially, you know, like they're not me. Mm-hmm. They don't like they're, they're not the ones that have to live with my decisions every day. I have to live with my decisions every day. So I mm. should probably make more decisions that I know are going to make me a, ha- a happier and more fulfilled and pleasant person to be around. Um, yeah. You can be selfish. You can be totally selfless, but you have to have the awareness to know that, um, you know, I can't just live my life because other people expect something of me. Like it cannot be for them. It has to be something for me. I, I absolutely love that. And there's so much value in what you said, because I think there are so many people out there who are, doing things that they think other people want them to do or doing things to get approval or waiting for permission from other people. And I think before we get into even all the, the strategies and tactics and stuff, you have to have that mindset shift right there that I'm, I'm doing this for me and I'm going to be a better person as a result of doing what I'm passionate about so that I can better help and serve others. Because you're right, like if you're doing this to only, you know, you have those five, six events a year, if you're living the other 360 
days of the year just for those five or six days, like you're not really living a great life and you're not going to be happy. And if you're not happy, you're not going to be, like you said, a great, a great person to be around and, and your best self. Yep. So yep. Exactly. Exactly. You just got to figure out what, what that is for you, you know, and it's, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be difficult, especially when, especially when it's a bunch of people that you respect, you know what I mean? And like you, you uh-huh. want them to think good things of you and they've always thought good things of you. And then, you know, if they find out that you're doing something that is contrary to what they feel that you should be doing, that they're probably going to lose some respect for you. Mm-hmm. And they're probably going to think negative things about you. But I'm just way happier doing what I think is what I should be doing. And, uh, you know, they can either get over it or they can not be in my life. And if they truly, if they can't get over the fact that I'm doing what is like what I feel I'm supposed to be doing, then they're probably not like the best friends for your life anyway. They probably had a hidden agenda. And a lot of those people did. And not everybody did. Like a lot of people follow me and they're like, you know, hey man, wish you the best. And I'm, I'm happy that you chose something that you're doing. I know it took a few people to come around. Um, like mm-hmm. they're uh, pretty much everybody's initial reaction was like, you're doing the wrong thing. But sure. Um, took, you know, some people a little bit longer to come around, but now it's very much like a lot of people support me. The people, the people who don't support me, I don't really care about them. You know what I mean? Right. Like, Cause they don't actually care about me. They only cared about their agenda. Right. It was to like, you know, even though, even if it was a good agenda, you know, the, if it, their agenda was to reach the world for Christ or whatever, like, or to plant more churches or whatever, like that's still their agenda. And uh, especially in that world, a lot of them can disguise their agenda as God's agenda. Mm-hmm. And that's a really dangerous thing to do. So um, yeah, for, for me, it was just like, you know what, I'm okay with, I'm okay with the people that won't respect me anymore because ultimately they didn't want what was best for me. They wanted what was best for them. And there's a big difference. Right, right. And that, there's so much value in that. And I, and I absolutely love that. So you're getting into sales now and now where you are now, obviously you have this, you know, highly successful entrepreneurial podcast, um, you know, business owner, successful real estate investor. Like you got a lot of things going really well for you right now. From the time you made the decision to like go into sales, like how did you end up there to where you are now? Like what were kind of the next steps that happened to get to where you are now? So when I jumped into sales uh, full time, 2015 was my first year full time in sales um, that I wasn't in college and where the first time that in my life that I knew that I wasn't going to be in ministry. So I just kind of went after it and it was my goal to make six figures that year. I was 22 at the time and I did. I made six figures, knocking on doors, selling alarms, 100% commission. And um, it was at the end of that year that I started to realize that that wasn't what I wanted to do for a long time, which seems kind of counterintuitive because like I made six figures at 22 knocking doors, like 20 hours a week ish, you know? So like, that's a pretty good gig. I would wake up when I wanted to kind of went to the gym if I wanted to, maybe, maybe not if I didn't want to, I'd, you know, play video games with some friends. And then from like 4 PM to 7 PM, I'd go knock on some doors and get a couple of deals and come back home. And so it was a pretty decent setup. But at the time I just knew that I wanted more. I, like I said, that's that competitive nature in me. And I knew that I wanted to get more out of life and more out of my career. And I looked 10 years into the future and saw that if I stick on this path, I'm going to be 35, I'm going to be 45, and I'm still going to be knocking on doors. And that was not mm-hmm. a version of life that I enjoyed thinking about. And so I, you know, thought about what would that life look like? And at the time I, I really had no idea. And at, I was essentially at 23, 22, 23 after that year. Um, I took a few months off. My wife was uh, back to work. We had cashed out on a real estate deal that we had. And I just took a few months to just kind of think because I was essentially a 15 year old, but I had, you know, I wasn't, I was 23 and I had a wife and I had a mortgage and, uh, but I was 
doing the work of a 15 year old. Like, man, what do I want to do with my life? Like, what do I want to be? I could be anything, you know? Mm -hmm. It's the first time that I was ever like, I could be anything I want to be. It was like this such a weird moment that I realized like, man, I should have been figuring this out like eight years ago, but whatever, you know, here, you know, take what you can. So at the time I was just like, man, how do I figure out what I want to do? And uh, I looked at everything, bro. I, I remember looking up like uh, FBI applications. I remember yeah. looking like the, the LA County Fire Department. Um, I knew that was a good job. Like I looked at everything at that point because I wasn't completely sold on heading into the business route. Um, but eventually after like doing a lot of thinking about it, I just kind of like got turned on back to more of that thing because money and making money and entrepreneurship was always interesting to me. Sure. I was the kid in elementary school that brought stuff to school to sell to the other kids. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that was just kind of always in me. And so that, that was the path that I ended up choosing. But the thing that got me clarity around that was that for the first time in my life, I really dove into personal development. I was never a reader up to that point. I never listened to anything. I, you know, the only way that I learned was through experience and direct mentorship with somebody that was really good at what they did. Sure. And so I, for the first time in my life, like started reading some books, listening to audiobooks. That was when I discovered podcasts. And uh, so I was listening to podcasts and just kind of thought, you know, this is something that I feel like I could do. I, I felt like I had a propensity toward being a decent writer. Um, I just remember, like, I, I, I never would have called myself a writer, but I just remember like going through school and college, like comparing my papers with friends' papers and being mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a difference here, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I, was, I was a great writer or anything, but I, I think I had an inclination toward being good at it. So I was like, Oh, I could start blogging. And I was like, but that seems like a lot of work and I don't like writing that much. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I heard about podcasting, I was like, Oh, that just sounds like an audio blog. That sounds way more interesting. I feel like I could do a decent job with that. And so that's what I did. I, I, uh, I jumped into, jumped into podcasting just from like listening to a ton of podcasts and thinking like, man, this would be really fun to do. A great story again, you know, really paving your own way. And, and like you said, originally, like not listening to other people. And there, there are a number of ways we can go with this. Um, um, obviously, want to be respectful of your time. But you talked about, you know, again, you know, getting in door to door sales. I'm sure that had a, a big impact on your ability to, to face rejection and everything else. But, uh, you know, again, so many takeaways with what you just talked about. Um, and I really want to, uh, to get into your superpower and, and what you can talk about that I think will impact so many people who are listening to the show. And that's the ability to, from where you started to where you are now, like all the connections and networking that you've done to, to get to the top and to get to um, these other, you know, entrepreneurial leaders and, and successful people. Um, so I want to, to kind of go over now and have you kind of share some of your, your tips and you said the old way of networking is dead and there's a new and better way to network and connect with others. So what's the old way that's no longer working? Like I think a lot of people think like I have to join this networking group and I have to you know, hand out business cards and this is going to be boring and it, it feels forced. And, and what is like the old way of networking that's no longer working and what's the new way for people to connect and network? Yeah. So we touched on it a little bit at the beginning and then you just touched on it right now. The older way would be like that 1980s version of like, you know, joining a networking group and um, going to the cocktail mixer, you know, writing your name on the name badge and handing out a thousand business cards and memorizing your 60 second elevator pitch and then moving on to the next person. And, you know, some will, some won't. So what next type of a mentality. Um, and like I said, cold calling has its place. I'm a big fan of cold calling. Uh, I think that it has its merits. And I think that that's a great way to cut your teeth at sales. But networking is not the time to do cold calling that is the time to build relationships and look for value that you can give to other people. Everybody else in networking situations, the old style of networking is all about what can I get? What can I get from this? How many 
how many uh, phone numbers can I get? How many contacts can I get? Mm-hmm. How, many, how much business can I get? I think yeah. the new way of networking is the exact opposite of that is what can I give? Mm-hmm. What value can I offer to somebody? Like whenever I meet somebody new, I'm thinking about ways that I can offer value to them, not about how they can benefit me. Um, and there's a, such a huge difference between those two things. And I think um, that's the new way of networking is, um, is looking at, is looking at how you can add value and how you could potentially collaborate um, uh, and, and really actually getting to know people and building real friendships and relationships. It's not about how much, how much contact information that you have. It's about how many people will respond when you shoot them a text. Because mm-hmm. a lot of people won't respond to people that when, shoot, when they shoot them a text because their last seven texts were just pitches about their MLM product <laughs> that they have. You know sure. what I'm saying? Like, like uh, this happened to my wife recently, somebody that she grew up with that just like every time they would reach out, it was about this MLM that, that they had and whatever. And I'm not even really against network marketing, to be honest. Like, I think it's a, de- a decent business model and it's a good way, again, to cut your teeth in sales um, mm-hmm. to get good at something. But, you know, this person just like kept hitting her up, kept hitting her up, kept hitting her up. And then when she would hit her up about something like, um, like there was one time where she hit her up about something that was non business related. And so mm-hmm. she replied just trying to be a good friend. And then right after she replied, she hit her up with another thing about business. And it was just like, uh, so now it's just like, I'm never going to respond to any text messages. And this is somebody that she grew up with. Like it's mm-hmm. a shame that that has to happen, but like, it's ridiculous. People treat networking like it's like, it's that, like it's, you know, I'm just trying to get business out of this. Right. Um, not a, how do I add value and how do I build a real relationship and friendship? Like you have to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Are you more willing to do business with somebody that you just met last night or somebody that you've known for the last six months that's proven themselves to be a a reputable, incredible person? Mm -hmm. Obviously the second one. Yeah. Like, and that's why, that's why I stopped. I realized it pretty young, bro. When I was like 20, 21, when I was still doing those networking groups, I would go to a networking group, you know, and there'd be like a realtor in there and a mortgage officer in there and an insurance Uh person. And I started looking around the room and you're expected to give referrals to all those people. I just remember looking around the room and thinking like, I already have people for all that stuff that I've known for a couple of years that yeah. are really good at what they do. You don't seem like you're that good at what you do. I'm probably not going to trust you to mm-hmm. send you like people that I know that are going to look at you as a direct reflection of me if I'm referring the business to you. So I probably still won't even refer it to you. And that's when I stopped doing those groups because I was just like, this isn't even honest of me. Like, I'm not going to send this person business because I don't, not only do I not trust them, but like I already know somebody else who I think is way better at the job that they do. So I'm going to send somebody to that person. Like it's not a political thing for me. It's what's going to, what's going to uphold my reputation with the people that I'm sending over to these people. Um, And uh, so when you have real relationships with people and you've built friendships over time with people, you're way more likely to get in with them and actually do business with them and receive referrals from them because it's a value-based relationship that's built over time. Mm. There's a lot of trust in between two people, not just like a contact that I got last night. And sure, are there examples of people that get business from those things? Obviously, I'm not saying that they're a complete waste of time, but I am saying that if you want to have giant results, I don't think that's the way to go about doing it. If you're cool with your $75,000 a year, like, you know, real estate broker commissions, then probably those events are probably a decent source for you to continue being at. But if you're trying to get big numbers and you're trying to do big things in the world, I just don't think that that kind of stuff works anymore. I just think that a lot of people are over it, especially like millennials. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I agree. There does seem to be a really a new wave of doing things, right? Like the, the shaking hands, handing out business cards, like just expecting just because someone's in your networking group, you're going to pass them business, right? It's all yeah. about building relationships. And, I, and I've been in those groups as well. It's all about building relationships and you want to refer to someone you like, right? Like, you know, mm-hmm. like, and trust. And 
and know that when I, if I were to hand off business to that person, I would trust that that person is going to execute on what they say they're going to. Mm-hmm. So yep. I think that's, that's super important. So, you know, now I, I kind of want to get in, like you've connected with like so many, you know, A-listers, super successful entrepreneurs and leaders over the past couple of years. And I think people learn really well from hearing like specific examples of like what people have done to connect with these type of people. So could you give like an example of like someone you connected with who was seemingly like, you know, way out of your league at the time? And what were the steps you used to connect with that person? Sure. Um, uh, I like this example just because she was completely and still is completely out of my league. Uh, her name is Molly Bloom. I don't know if you know her familiar yeah, with her. The movie. Um, yeah. So she has a movie called Molly's Game. She hosted um, some of the highest stakes underground poker games in the world. Um, if you don't know her story, the movie's amazing. You should go watch it. Jessica Chastain plays her. Idris Elba plays her lawyer and Kevin Costner plays her dad. So it's pretty like like big time movie. It's not like a, you know, B movie or anything. It's Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut. Um, and so I, it, it's actually a really good film. Um, and I highly recommend checking it out. It definitely will hold your attention. Um, but it's about her life. And so when I watched the movie, I immediately was like, man, she's like the networking queen. She's like a 28 year old girl in a man's world, like an old man's world, right? Like yeah. these are hedge fund managers and billionaires that are playing like her, her minimum buy-in at her New York games were, was a quarter million dollars minimum buy-in. <laughs> sure. You know what I mean, like the people that are, that are coming, like this is a man's world that she's playing in. And she's a 28 year old girl, you know, 30 year old girl that's just controlling all these people. She's connecting with like top celebrities, A-list celebrities, athletes, um, the people that you really want to meet. Like she's had them all playing her games, you know? And, uh, man, she's the queen of networking. I really want to talk to her. Like she's amazing at this and it'd be cool to have a conversation. And so I, uh, uh, found her on Instagram and I reached out on a DM and I didn't get a reply. And then two days later I reached out again and then I got a reply, but it was like a very much a, you know, Oh yeah, thanks for reaching out. I'll pass it on to my team, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, code for no. Right. um, So I reached out again in like two or three days and just said, okay, no worries. And then if you look at the, uh, the direct messages between us, it, uh, I've reached out probably three weeks after that, no reply. I reached out about a month again after that, uh, got another reply, uh, that was just kind of like, you know, pushing it off. Then I reached out, um, two or three more times, a couple times with no reply, one time with the reply. Mm-hmm. It took about like seven or eight different touch points for me to where she finally was just like, um, sure, let's do it. And so that was from January all the way to June uh, when we had the conversation. So like five, six, like months. six months of solid reaching out before she finally said yes. Uh, but that was a big one for me because I was able to help connect her to a couple of people. I was able to like add a lot of value to her, get her to speak on a couple stages of friends that I have, get her to be on a couple of other top rated podcasts that of people that I know. Um, like I connected her with Tom Bilyeu and Impact Theory. I connected her with my buddy Jordan Harbinger um, and got her in front of other audiences of millions of people um, and uh, was able to really add a lot of value in that relationship. And that was like a big case study for me to know that like, Hey, if I just keep working at this thing and I have professional follow-up and I'm good at what I do, that I'll get a positive response from a good amount of people. Um, And, you know, for every person, every story that I have like that, I have another dozen of people that never got back to me or completely sure. ignored me and I've never been able to sit down with. But that's the whole name of the game, man. Like you got to find people that you respect and that you want to connect with. And uh, some people 
I'm nowhere near as adamant about my follow-up because I don't really care that much. You know, sure. if, they, if, they, if they say something like, oh yeah, you know, run it by my team, whatever, I'm just kind of like, eh, whatever. Like, I don't really care that much. That, you know, I would have I loved to have you on the show if it was going to be easier, but you know, this one's not really worth working that hard for. But with someone like her, I knew that I really wanted her on the show and that she, her story was amazing. And I wanted to share it. And so like, it, it was important to me to get her on. So I, you know, that was expressed in my follow-up and my, and my persistence there. Awesome. I love that story. And I've heard, I've heard you tell that story on, on other podcasts too. And I really, you know, love how you, you know, reached out to her and were persistent, right? Like, it's not like you were persistent in like a, Hey, come on, get back to me kind of way. But you know, you were persistent and kept following up. And eventually, you know, she realized that, that you meant business and were something to take seriously. And then, you know, you were able to, to make that connection and, and have a podcast. So I think, um, you know, one thing that you just, again, we emphasize there is like persistence and, and not giving up, like how important to that is that? And like, how do you do that in a way that's not like annoying? Yeah, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, um, ways to make sure like there's difference between professional persistence and pushy persistence. One of them gets you ignored. One of them gets you results. And so you definitely have to work on being professionally persistent. Um, one way that I try to do that is I try to build proper expectations on each reach out and let them know that I'm probably going to be following up in a few weeks just to kind of like, Hey, I know you're super busy and you may not see this message. You may not be able to get back to this one. So if it's cool with you, I'll go ahead and follow up um, just in a few weeks and let you, and uh, just kind of give you another update. Um, so mm -hmm. I would do that. I would give them an update every time I reached out. So just to let them know, like you don't want to make people think that the train is only going to leave the station if they're on it. You want people to think that like, look, this train's leaving the station regardless of whether or not you get on board. I'd love to have you on board, but it's leaving the station. So the way that I would do that was I would just re I would give her updates every time I reached out. And this goes, like I did the same thing with Jack Canfield. Jack Canfield took me like nine or 10 months to get him on the show. Yeah. And I'd do this every time I reached out. would always be like, you know, just a quick update. I just interviewed this person, this person, this person, and uh, we released this many episodes. We got this recognition. Check us out. We were just featured an entrepreneur or whatever. Like, I would just give a little bit of updates on things that were going on because it lets sure. them know that like, Oh, this kid is serious. He's not just a kid that had an idea that, uh, that once I say no, he's going to give up on. Right. Like it's very much like this train's leaving the station with or without you, but I'd love to have you on board type of a mentality when you give them those type of updates. Cause it's like, oh, okay. Oh man. Well, I don't want to be the last person to say yes to this guy. Like mm -hmm. he's gotten this person, this person, this person on, like I may as well jump in and, um, and be a part of it. Like they don't want to miss out on it. You know, they almost, it almost gives away that like FOMO mentality. Um, and then the last thing I would say is like, just have a smile on your face, use different follow-up touch points instead of just text, try audio instead of maybe just audio, do video. Um, the one that finally got me the response from her was a couple videos that I sent and I had a smile on my face and I said something like, Hey, please don't mistake my enthusiasm for, uh, pressure or, or annoyance. I was just like, I just, I just really love your story and I would be really thrilled to share it on my show. And I was like, and just a quick FYI, I have a background in door to door sales. So I tend to be consistent <laughs> with this kind of stuff. Sure. So, as well just get it done sooner rather than later. And I said, <laughs> I said it like that though, but I said it with a smile on my face, kind of joking around. Cause that could obviously come off really, really creepy. Like I'm not giving up, like say yes. Right <laughs> now. So sure. you have to be careful with that kind of stuff. But as long as you deliver with a smile and you know, you have good tonality and you're just kind of joking around, messing around. Um, you know, people, a lot of people, especially successful people will kind of even respect that kind of stuff too, because they know what it takes to get to the top. And they probably did a lot of the same things when they were doing it. And so, right. um, you know, instead of annoying them, you're actually kind of leaving a positive impression on them. And then you have to deliver. 
if you get the yes, you have to deliver. You can't, you know, if I would have done that and then been totally unprepared for the interview and then never talked to her again, that would have been a waste of an opportunity. But instead, I read her book and watched her movie before the interview. I was super prepared. I had the, like everything dialed in that I wanted to know. We had a great interview and I added value afterwards by making several introductions to uh, several people in my network for her to connect with and get to know better and, uh, and which only, you know, furthered the relationship even more. Yeah. Um, again, so many, so much value in what you just said. There are so many great points about how to be persistent without being pushy and, and love it. So, you know, another thing I, I kind of want you to, to do here is get hyper-tactical with me for a moment. And I think some people um, obviously connect with people to get on podcasts. Some people do it to build their network um, for business or other means. And I want to get uh, hyper-tactical with you, like I said, for a moment and, and kind of put you on the spot here, but I want to walk you through a hypothetical scenario. So, you know, let's say you are a real estate agent. So you're a real, real estate investor. I think you said your dad was a realtor. Um, mm-hmm. My wife is a realtor. We're real estate investors as well. Um, so let's say you're a realtor who's new in town. Um, you have no connections, you know, no one, you're starting from a blank slate. Like what would you do to like steps one, two, three, and like the fastest way possible, but yet effective way possible to start to build your network in that scenario? Uh, content number one, like really the only thing content, um, build a podcast, uh, and then have a meetup associated with that podcast. Uh, and then your podcast do try to do your interviews in person and interview as many local people as you can, either your ideal client or your, uh, colleagues in the space, the top realtors, the top, the top producers in that space. Like, I don't care if you're at Keller Williams and one of the top realtors in century 21, get over yourself and go interview the century 21 agents. Like, bring in exposure to everybody and their into their businesses and add value like that. Um, and then it gives you a way to connect with people that, um, that automatically puts you on a platform. Mm-hmm. Having a platform is huge for credibility, even if it's not a crazy huge platform, right? Obviously the more credible the platform, the better, you know, but, um, but even if your show doesn't get a ton of downloads or a bunch of, you know, that's why I say podcasting over YouTube because YouTube mm-hmm. people can see all of your numbers and plain as day and plain sight podcasts. Mm-hmm. They can't. So if you have like a, if you are professional at what you do and you have like well-designed uh, artwork and your description's good and you have a decent amount of ratings and reviews, like your credibility is there. So all you have to do is just reach out and try to get people on the show. And a lot of local people that don't do this kind of stuff all the time, they'll all say yes. Why wouldn't they? Like they're honored that you would ask them to make a media appearance and they're probably going to share it to their audiences. And it helps you get to know those people in a way that like gives you sharing credibility with them. Um, And if it's in your industry, like if you're a realtor and you're, you know, struggling to get to six figures and you go interview all the people in your, in your community that are crushing seven figure incomes in, in real estate or high six figure incomes in real estate in your community. And you learn from them directly on basically free coaching calls with through podcast interviews. Like that's only going to rub off on you and make you better what you do and present you with more deals and opportunities in the future. Right. Love it. And, and that was something I was going to get more into later. Like why start a podcast, but I think you just, proved it right there. Like, think about if you're starting from nothing, if you reach out to someone and, you know, just like I reached out and connected to you, you know, have a platform and then you can connect with a lot of people who you might not have otherwise been able to connect to because you're adding value and providing, you know, valuable content for people. So exactly. Like you reached out and said, Hey, I love having the podcast. I will say yes to that. If you reach out and say, you know, Hey, can we talk for free for an hour? 
like I say, no, I charge, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> it's sure. called the coaching call and I charge money for that. Right. Like, but being on a podcast is different because that's a value add for me to be in front of somebody else's audience. Even if there's only 12 people in that audience, like it doesn't matter. Somebody could hear me resonate with my message and book a call to buy a product or service. Like you never know what the, the type of um, uh, feedback that you can get from something like that. It's a value add and you can't discount it as anything other than that. Like it is like, it's a real way to bring value to people is by something as simple as starting a podcast. You just have to get over romanticizing, getting a million downloads a month and just be okay with the fact that maybe that'll never come, but that's not the reason that you're starting your show. You know what I mean? Maybe it'll come in five years from now, but like for now, just use it as your outreach tool to allow you to connect with the people in your community and do it on a high level. Totally. And love that. And I'm, I'm sure obviously that's why you're a, a big proponent of it. And, um, I was going to go a different direction, but I see we have probably about three or four minutes here. So I have just a, a couple more things that I want to hit on with you. So I'm going to be uh, selfish here for a minute and use myself as kind of a, a live case study for you, but I think others will benefit from this as well. So um, Ed Milet is someone who like, you know, I want to connect with and have on my show. And I know Ed is someone who you know well and, and have on your show as well. So you know, he's an example of someone who you know, right now he has no idea who I am as a very busy guy. Um, and for those who don't know, he's a, has a highly successful podcast. He had my let show among other things right now, you know, successful entrepreneur. So if you were in like my shoes right now, like what next steps would you take to connect to someone like Ed? Um, have you tried reaching out? Yeah, I sent him uh, I sent him one video DM, but only one so far. One video DM. Yeah. So I would, if, if it's somebody that matters that much to you, like I would just keep sending those like once a month or so, um, and see if you ever get in, like try different things, like try audio next time, try a picture, try just a bunch of emojis before a text, um, things like that. Uh, but then if that's not working, then look up his event schedule, things that he's going to be speaking at and get to those events. Um, fork out the little bit of extra money for uh, the VIP stuff and just like, let them know like, Hey, I, you know, DM DM you a few times on Instagram. I know you're super busy and I, you know, like literally zero, you know, hate for that or whatever. Um, but, um, uh, but yeah, if you could check those out sometime, that would be awesome. I'm just at Luke Briggs fitness or whatever. Um, yeah. and, uh, and, and try to try to get in that way, but you know, connect in person, uh, try a different reach out media, maybe try Facebook, maybe try Twitter, um, try to find an email address, um, stuff like that, or get in really well, like join, um, you know, obviously if you join Arte, the, his 50 K mastermind, you'll be able to meet him. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you don't want to do that, join a mastermind of somebody who's really well connected to him that is like way less money than that. And, um, so that you can use that mutual connection as a way to connect. Um, like there's a few different things that I would try tactically there. Um, but then if none of that stuff is working, then look to get the, the influencers on and connect with influencers that, um, maybe aren't necessarily on that level, but are still connected to him mm -hmm. um, so that you can have huge credibility when you make an ask. And when you reach out in the future to say like, Oh, I've had this person, this person, this person, this person on, I know, you know, all of those guys, um, like that will go a long way. That's essentially what I did with Grant Cardone, um, was just like, got so many people on that I knew he knew that he could just, he couldn't ignore me anymore because like there was just too many recognizable people that I've already had on my show. So we kind of had to say yes at some point. Right. Love that. And, uh, you know, obviously personally appreciate the, the value and insight there, but you know, I think there's so much value to everyone there about how just, 
being persistent. And if you truly want to connect with someone, like you won't give up after one or two reach outs, right? Like you'll continue to reach out. You'll find other people who are connected to someone who's even connected with him or, you know, just show up at their events. And I think that there's so much truth and value in that, that if you really want to connect with someone, like you'll find a way. And there are so many different ways, especially in today's connected world that you can get in touch with someone. Yep. Yep. So true. Okay. Awesome. Well, I know, uh, I think we're out of time. Um, and you know, just before we, before we get off the, the podcast here, uh, I want to give you a minute to let people know where they can find out more about you. Yeah. Travischapel.com. That's C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L. Travischapel.com has all my social links. You can connect with me on any of the platforms that you are big on because I'm basically on all of them. Um, and, uh, my email's on there, shoot me an email, reach out, happy to connect. Uh, and then if you are a six or seven figure business owner and you want a, either you have a podcast that's underperforming or you want a podcast that's going to perform in general, um, we are taking on a few clients right now in the beginning stages, like beta testing a new service offering that we're doing called podcast in a box where we basically build an entire podcast for you, guarantee a certain success level at the end of it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, so, uh, we, we typically want that to be a six or seven figure business owner because you should have an offer that's on the back end, uh, that would make sense for you to, uh, to afford the investment that it is for us to go in and like build out that podcast for you. So, um, but if you have any questions about that, shoot me an email, um, Travis at travischapel.com. Awesome. Travis, thanks so much for sharing it. And thanks so much for coming on the show. Appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot.